Hey, what's up, everyone? This is uh, Patrick Donahoe. Welcome to the Well Standard Podcast. We are on episode 11 of uh, the second season where our focus and theme is liberty, specifically the pursuit of financial freedom. And my guest is Matt Monero. Matt has a, a podcast called You Need More Money. He also has a, a book that's come out this year, also titled You Need More Money. And it is it was a great conversation. We have some very, very similar philosophical points of view when it comes to business. We even have a mutual connection that we didn't know, uh, something I had become acquainted with recently called the Business Finishing School. We'll put that link in the, the show notes. But it is a it is an online, mostly they have some live events, but it's an online school for uh, business owners, executives on how to establish culture, how to establish uh, the back end side of the business, which I'm uh, I've learned a ton about over the last uh, last couple of years. Anyway, we hit it off. He had a, has an amazing uh, amazing past. Has been in business mainly in commercial and fleet financing, but it's an enlightening conversation. But I am uh, the second part of this introduction. I wanted to uh, just remind everyone that uh, that I have a book coming out next week, and it is titled "Heads I Win, Tails You Lose." It's something I've been working on for more uh, longer than I'd like to admit, uh, but it is uh, definitely was worth worth. Uh, worth the effort, worth the wait. And I can't wait for you guys to read it. So if you are interested, go head on over to headsortailsiwin.com and there will there will be a, a special link there where you guys can sign up and get uh, access to uh, the newsletter for that. But also because you're on the podcast uh, list, we are going to send out a special link for a discount when the book goes live on uh, on Monday or Tuesday, I believe. I can't even remember what, what's what. And I'm out here on vacation in Cape Cod, Massachusetts with, with, my, uh, with my family the week before the launch. But, uh, but anyway, my team has everything, uh, everything under control. So I'm excited for that to come out. Can't wait for you guys to, uh, to read it. The audiobook, we finished recording that. That should be out in the next uh, two to three weeks. Uh, but for now, we're gonna release the Kindle first. Uh, then the paperback is just about a, uh, a day or two later, and then the hardcover uh, a few days after that. So anyway, can't wait for you guys to read it. Uh, make sure you uh, you go to uh, the website to check out some of the resources there. So headsortailsiwin.com. If you're already on our email list, you guys are gonna get some advance notice and get some links in there to get a special discount uh, on the ebook. But here's the deal. If you guys would do me a massive, massive favor and uh, and you know read the book, of course, and then uh, provide a review uh, on Amazon. That's going to really help from a uh, from awareness standpoint and from a, uh, a PR standpoint. So I would love your help in, in helping me promote uh, promote the book. Uh, but it's a longer book. Took like I said forever. There's a an online study guide that I've been working on here while I'm on vacation. Don't don't fault me for that, please. Uh, but uh, there's some ton, tons of good information in there. I can't wait for you guys to explore that as well. But anyway. If you guys uh, wouldn't mind, go to headsortailsiwin.com and uh, sign up there. If you're already on the email list, then you guys are going to get some correspondence in the next few days. And if you would uh, buy the book, of course, but then also leave a, leave a review, that would be amazing. And uh, that's it for now. I'm going to uh, transition over to my awesome interview with, uh, with Matt Monero. Thanks, guys. See ya. Welcome to the 2018 seasons of the Wealth Standard Podcast, celebrating life, liberty, and property. You are listening to Liberty Season 2. 
Okay, Matt, it's uh, it's awesome to have you on. We should have probably pressed uh, record uh, when we first started talking about five minutes ago. No, it would have just bummed people out, Patrick. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes it's that like, you know, roller coaster. It gives you kind of the, you know, the, the spatial awareness of, of how significant issues are. But I can't wait to get into this podcast. We've been talking about some things that uh, are, are on both of our, both of our minds. Uh, but Thank you for being here, first off, and uh, and welcome. And uh, maybe you know, just to start off, give uh, give the, uh, the the listeners just brief brief background, and then maybe get into what you're uh, what you're doing right now and what you're excited about. Yeah, I mean, I um, you know I grew up in Connecticut, uh, not too far from you. I grew up in a real rich town in Connecticut, but I was never the rich kid in that town, and I never felt like the rich kid. So. Um, not without boring the audience, but I had a birth father who split when I was six months old, left my mother and I high and dry. And that, that instantaneously changed me. I know that it might sound strange to some people, but not to me. I know that at that moment, I was different. From that moment on, my life was always the underdog. It still is to today. Um, my mother uh, remarried when I was nine or 10 and her husband adopted me. I love him as my father. He loves me as his son, but he was a very tough guy. Um, you know, I was, uh, uh, it was a, it was a tough, it was a tough setup. Uh, there was a lot of, my old man was a very tough guy, emotionally, extremely hard on my sister and I. Um, and then, uh, I moved to Dallas, Texas after a few jaunts around, um, when I was 25 and I started this company from nothing, a one bedroom apartment with a phone and a folding table and a yellow pages. And uh, this year we'll probably do 160 million bucks, 23 years later. So it's been a good good ride. Awesome. Uh, It's been fun. I didn't do it myself. I have a wonderful team of people that have been with me a long time. Um, And uh, we're now on what I call the, uh, the pleasure side of all business where, you know, I was on the pain side of it for so long. So uh, I want to get out and help people um, fix broken businesses. Um, you know, we have 10,000 customers and 9,500 of them have broken businesses where the owner is running in chaos and, uh, you know, chasing the almighty buck and they're not sure, you know, how it's all going to play out and can they trust their employees or can they even trust their business. And my my next phase of my life is to help those business owners, both clients and even strangers, in uh, in running better businesses because when it's run right, it's magical, and when it's run wrong, it's it's hell. Well, I want to get into that because that's that's a that's a topic I've been on uh, for for several years now, right? Because I, I think the you know the the scope of work that's available now, as well as the unemployment rate. I mean, here in Salt Lake, like you, there's it's like negative unemployment. Like you, people are jumping from this to this to this, and it's. You know, it's one of those things where I, I would say, you know, finding finding a meaningful environment in which you can produce and where you can, you know, spend your professional life uh, is not only good for a business owner, right? But I think it's also good for those that work uh, work in the in the business. Uh, but maybe maybe take us down take us down that uh, that that journey to an extent because right now, you know, you it seems on the surface, right, that your business is is more you know B two B, right? You're you're financing uh, uh, vehicles. Uh, mostly commercial and fleet type of vehicles, uh, which is primarily, and correct me if I'm wrong, primarily a business to business or uh, you know, type of uh, uh, enterprise. But yet, you know, you have a podcast and you have books that you've written 
that are geared toward, you know, to B2C, right? Geared toward consumer. So maybe walk us through, you know, some of those, those moments where, you know, you started in business, but then realized that, wow, what I'm learning in this message is more important than, you know, building my business, but it's more important, you know, it's important to share these uh, lessons, to share these principles and values with, you know, with uh, the rest of the world. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a transformation for me because I was extremely selfish for the majority of my career. I really only cared about helping my very close inner circle, inclusive of myself and my family, my employees, and even the customers. Um, and uh, to be frank with you, probably not even the customers as much as I should have. I mean, I was interested in us getting our piece of the American pie. And um, I had no interest in giving back. There was no charity or philanthropy of any kind whatsoever. Um, and uh, and I, I make no apologies for it. I mean, I think everyone has to do their version of getting their, their piece of the American pie. <clears throat> with, you know, but, but along that journey, Patrick, I was a, I was a pretty tough guy. I mean, I, 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 um, you know, I burned a lot of relationships. Um, I burned through a lot of employees. I was too harsh on a lot of people. Um, and uh, when we hit the $100 million mark, um, you know, it just didn't feel as good as I thought it was supposed to feel. I was in 2013, and um, I didn't like who I'd become, and I didn't like the business that I had created. And I believe that they're very intertwined, right? So, absolutely, uh, the business is really the reflection of the owner, mm-hmm. and that business began to fray and it began to break. And um, I tried to uh, to look past it and say, "Well, we'll just push harder." But the reality was, foundationally, it was broken. Even though we'd been in business 18 years the foundation was really not that trustworthy. And so I, I put the business through what I call the torch in which I literally tore the business apart and said, I don't care if it goes to zero, I'm going to rebuild this business the way it should have been built in the first place on mission statement and core values and trust and communication. And, um, if it is a smaller business when I'm done with it, that's fine but I don't think it will be. I think it will be a bigger business and a better business if we do this. And um, unfortunately, through that torch, seven of my top people didn't agree with me and they left and they've all started competing businesses. Um, And it was a very challenging time for about 16 months or so. But I'm proud to say that, you know, now that we're two years post torch, We'll do 160, maybe 170 million bucks. So, you know, if you want to add 30% growth year over year, um, $100 million business, I I would tell everyone to torch what you like and and get what you love. I mean, that's really the moral of my story is to have the courage to do the things that you know you need to do, whether they impact your business or they just impact your life. Because I'm a much happier person today than I was just three or four years ago because of it. But it sounded like your intention changed too, right? Your, your intention changed from not necessarily hitting the milestone of, you know, a, a, a measurable dollar amount, but the intention changed to, you know, build, building a business uh, with, you know, having, it sounded like a feeling you were, you were seeking more fulfillment, more achievement. Uh, I mean, what, t- take us through that. Like, how, how would you define what the intention was before, which I think may have been clear, right? Which is hitting milestones, hitting, you know, dollar amounts, earnings. But now, like, what, what's the intention behind the business? Yeah, so um, the intention of the torch was not to help 
people. It was to fix what I knew was a broken business. Mm -hmm. And so there was only really an economic reason for it. Um, How do we build something that creates more stability for our employees and for our clients and for ourselves? That was really the premise. I I don't want to I don't want to overshadow it and make it seem like there was something deeper. It was purely economical that I did it. But along the way, uh, something happened, right? I began to see people um, trust in, um, in faith and not necessarily religious faith, but trust in doing the right things, trust in blocking and tackling, trust in chopping wood every day, processes and systems that if they were done right, can really catalyze an environment and make something special. And I, it took a while for that to happen. But I, you know, I remember, you can, I just remember the day I saw it where, where I heard a bunch of employees laughing again in my office. And I remember saying to myself, there it is. It's coming back. We didn't laugh for years around here. We didn't laugh. I didn't laugh. No one was celebrating our success. It was just this constant grind. Mm-hmm. I remember that day where I heard that laughter creep back into the business and I said, we're onto it. It's working. And then you begin to see people come in with smiles again and they're happy and you see new people. You purge the old ones that we all know we have to remove ourselves from eventually, whether that's in business or in families or relationships, right? And then you get this new group that comes in who are like, well, no, this is what I'm signing up for. I'm signing up for this mission statement and these core values. This is what I connect with individually. And if I can make a living doing it, then it really fulfills. And that whole thing is the reason for the growth. And so through that, I saw the impact of a great culture and what it means and how businesses becomes great businesses become the byproduct of great cultures. And that man, that's a, a quote worth putting on whatever those quote websites are. <laughs> uh, what would you, so how, how did you, how did you pivot to writing books? Cause the books also are very B to C was that based on, uh, you know, helping your specific culture or was, you know, there's some other intention behind that. Yeah, the first book, uh, the book I wrote called the grit was uh, purely for uh, company branding purposes, right? How do I get in front of the business? and begin to be the face of the business. Ideally, we were just gonna give the book to our customer base, Mm. help them with strategies that we used over the years. Um, but, uh, but, but that book really began to resonate with lots of other small business owners outside of our client base. And, um, and then along that path of writing, I really began to enjoy that, um, and begin to hear my voice and, and realize that, you know, I think I can deliver a message that's very underdog, supportive, very blue collar, very in your face, um, very commonsensical that is missing in so much of the way that we, we consume info, which is mostly on social or these little snippets. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, then we had some tragedy in, in, our, in our lives in which my wife's uh, brother, he was 46 at the time, married with four children, and he went to the doctor. He, he wasn't feeling well. He went to the doctor to get a shot and uh, never left. He was diagnosed with stage four cancer that day and um, changed everything for us. Uh, you know, my wife and her brother, her only brother, were incredibly close. Um, and so I know this, you know, I've, I've been married, um, I've been married uh, 19 years 
Uh, been with my wife 21 years. I've known my, I knew my brother-in-law the entire time and we never had one coarse word together. I loved him, but it was the worst person to take from my wife, even more so than me. I know that. And that's weird to say, but I know that she was so madly in love with her brother. He died almost one year to the day. And unfortunately he left his wife and four children with no health insurance, no life insurance and a hundred bucks in the bank. And that Patrick began to really drive purpose for me because we were able to drop in and fix that financial problem for them in an effort to get him better. And I began to see these two powerful things happen, right? The ability to have money and the ability to not have money. And um, that began to really fuel my lifelong mission now, which is to help people understand the importance of getting their financial affairs in order and staying very driven and vigilant to financial success. It's not a, a, a topic that lots of people like to talk about, but for me, I'm very comfortable in it. And that spurred my book, You Need More Money. So when... When did it occur to you, I'm going to write a book about this. Was it based on some of the success that you've, you experienced with uh, the, the, uh, the grit book or, or was it, or was it something, something that was encouraged by maybe your wife? I mean, take us through that process. No, I wrote a little story about it. I I wrote a long blog post about it and it Mm -hmm. got picked up by a group in New York who said, this is very interesting. We'd like to talk to you further about it. Cool. And they actually uh, pushed the issue that uh, we think it could be a book, um, and they took the ball and ran with it. We ended up uh, um, picking up Dupree Miller, which is um, probably the best literary agent in nonfiction. They handled Tony Robbins and Joel Olstein and all those guys. They picked it up and they sold the rights to Penguin. And then I wrote the book. And um, through that writing of the book process, I just found what I truly believe is uh, what the second half of my life will be all about, which is helping people wake up to the fact that complacency is, uh, is not a place we want to be. We do not want to be a place that says, I'm okay. We want to push. We want to push harder. Um, it's actually this weird connection of all of my mindset coming together. I'm just not the, I'm just not the jerk anymore, right? I've been, able to, I've been able to purge the jerk out of me and be able to just tell the story the way I think it needs to be told and not have to be an a-hole so in your in your research, what were what were some things about? I mean, obviously you experienced your you know your brother in law's situation and his and his family. What are some of the the maybe disturbing or surprising things that you discovered in the research process, and how did you address those in the book? I mean, look, the average family of four in America makes fifty one thousand dollars a year. Um, the average uh, the average American. I mean, just to give you some real stats on it. Um, 65% of Americans have less than than $1,000 in their savings account. 35% of Americans have absolutely nothing in their savings account. Um, The messaging that most people will hear are these small little increments that you need to invest in a 401k or you need a mutual fund or something like that. And, you know, you need to save the old adage is save 10%. If you're really lucky, you could save 15%. None of those work. None of those numbers work in the real world. Mm -hmm. The real world works in in the first and primary focus, which is disturbing for most people, which is you have to earn more money. Um, That's that's how you fix the money problem. It's not cutting your cable bill by $22. 
that that has absolutely no impact on long-term financial strength in any person's situation. Because if if the if the person that's making fifty-one grand is thinking about saving twenty-two thousand, twenty-two dollars, I mean, they're never going to get their head and mindset around what it's really going to take to make maybe a hundred or a hundred and fifty or whatever that number is. So that's the first piece of the puzzle is most people really have to come to grips with the fact that they need to make more money. Then it triggers, Patrick, the question of, well, how? And I just look through my own situation. What was the roadmap that I built for myself? I didn't have a mentor. No one taught me the roadmap of how to get financially secure. So I literally just went through the memory banks and began to recount how the heck did I do it over 20 years? And I wrote it down in what I call the roadmap in the book. It's the second half of the book. The first half is this wake-up call where I use a lot of data to begin to explain to people that we're chasing old numbers, numbers that really were meaningful 20 or 30 years ago. I'll give you an example. When I graduated college in 1991, to be in the top 1% of earners, you needed to make $100,000. Take a guess what that number is today. 350? It's 384,000. And yet, if the average family of four in America is earning 51,000, and so many people think 100 grand is good money, the reality is the money's moved, and most people don't know it. Yep. So what, why do you think that is, right? Because, I mean, we're talking median income. I mean, that's tens of millions of people, yeah. right, in the, same, in the same situation. I mean, we, we live in an, an incredibly innovative society. So it's kind of like if you look at all the different pieces uh, to the equation and see the outcome, for most, it wouldn't make any sense. So where do you, so did you address that in the book as to like why, why people all landed in this very similar situation? Yeah, that's, that's funny. I mean, I suppose that's, that's uh, up for debate because when I look at my situation, I, I see people who are far more successful than me and, and it gets me motivated, right? So, so I suppose it is your interpretation of the glass. Is it half full or is it half empty? But, yeah. but the reality is we have never been told what it really takes to achieve what we really want, and therefore we never take the time to figure out what it is that we really want. We, we do when we're younger, right? We dream of being the fireman or the policeman or the ball player. And then something happens like right around whether we graduate high school or we graduate college, where it just seems like all that stuff gets thrown into the mill and real life chops it up, and then we just get on somebody else's game plan. We, we literally start to follow this game plan that was never really what we intended for ourselves. Only this many people, and, I, and I, I'm, I'm speaking with my fingers here, a very small portion of people really understand what they want to build for their lives. Yeah. Um, and so I challenge people in the book, go back take time to figure out what were those early dreams, those core values that you had, that lifestyle by design that you envisioned, and let the book help you figure out how we can get back to that. And once we tap into that, the wheel begins to spin very, very quickly, and this gap that everyone thinks is so massive begins to shrink. This, this money situation, if we look at it individually, Patrick, can be fixed much faster than people think. And you hit the nail on the head as far as the solution, but I'll, I'll backtrack a second and, and hit on a couple points that I, I really feel strongly about. 
Uh, first, you know, based on the story you told about your, your, uh, not your biological father, but your, you know, the father that raised you, um, you know, I would say the early influences that we have in our, in our life, you know, shape a lot of how we view the world, right? Unless we, you know, seek out other types of influences, uh, whether it's, you know, a, a group of influence or, or a, a, you know, a socioeconomic situation where you're in a neighborhood or, you know, in a specific town. Uh, but it's also, you know, I would say it has to do with uh, the, the school system you were raised into and what you were taught by those that you consider leaders. Because, you know, right now, our, our kids, right, they spend time uh, in, a, in a group of adult with a group, a group of adults. And those adults essentially are, you know, they correspond to this natural understanding of what leadership is or hierarchy is. And, it, and I would say, you know, the, the teaching situation of our, of our society and, you know, and I've said this before on the, on the show. And so hopefully, you know, those teachers that are listening were, you know, if they're back, they're going to get offended again. You know, it's one of those things where, you know, the caliber of teacher really determines uh, the caliber of student in a sense. And, you know, and that, I would say it's not always the case. It's not absolute. Right. But the primary influences that we have, right, have put us all in this, you know, essentially, and I'm not put us all in this, in this box. Right. And I would say it's, it's, uh, you know, a desire for mediocrity, right. A desire to do what everybody else is doing, as opposed to, you know, a desire that is above, above us, uh, which is what I think you're, you're specifically talking to. Uh, and it's hard. I mean, you, you have, you have, have had probably thousands and thousands of employees, right. Having a behavior change, a paradigm shift. I mean, those are things that I would say, like non-rationally speaking, may seem like it makes sense. Oh, well, you just have to do this and then you'll have more results. You just do this and you'll make more money. Right. But that, you know, as far as like the, how we rationalize, you know, human behavior, it's, it never works because human behavior is all driven by irrat, you know, irrational inclinations. So, so what would you, what would you say to, you know, as you've uh, gone down this road of, you know, inspiring people by saying, wow, the statistics suck. It isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. And now here's direction. How do you, how do you address, you know, yeah. the, the idea behind changing the influences that you have for mediocrity to the influence of, you know, achievement or fulfillment or meaning, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. yeah. I mean, your point is perfect and spot on that it really is a mindset play. And um, a lot of people that think they have healthy mindsets towards success really really don't because their their level of success is compared to those who are failing and that's what makes them feel successful that they're ahead of their brother or their maybe their father or their neighbors or their friends right and so we do have to reach in a little bit and get back to this core value this lifestyle by design what is it that we think we're supposed to do but there are some truly fundamental things i talk about in the book the first thing that people have to do is they have to take what I call the litmus test. And that means, where are you now? We have to take stock in where we are. So I have a formula, the one, three, five, ten formula. And what it basically means is if someone's in their 20s, they should have one times their annual income as their net worth. That's assets over liabilities. Assets minus liabilities equals net worth. Simple formula. And we need to take stock. So if a, someone in their 20s is making 50 grand, they should have, based on my formula, they should have $50,000 net worth. That moves up as we go into our 30s. 30s, it's three times annual income. 40s, it's five times annual income. In 50s, it's 10 times annual income. And once we begin to put ourselves through that litmus test, we begin to get an idea of whether we're ahead or we're behind. 
And to me, that's where it starts. Where are we now? Mm -hmm. And can we begin to say and admit I'm behind, we, meaning the family unit, is behind. Can we talk about it? I give strategies of how you're supposed to talk about it with your spouse so that we can get everyone up to speed of the current situation. And that is so difficult. And uh, lots of people say, and I just did an interview with Market Watch, and when they published the interview, I got blasted with just so much hate from people saying, Oh, yeah, it's a, you know, a rich guy telling us how to do it. He doesn't know. Well, what people don't understand is, you know, I was down to my, in this business, I was down to my last 40 bucks on a credit card. After my car had gotten repossessed, I walked to the, to the gas station down the street and I bought $40 worth of milk and frosted flakes. Mm-hmm. And I went back to that dumpy apartment and I said, this is not how it finishes for me. I never had a loan. I never had a handout from anybody. I never had a mentor. My father was not a mentor figure. I never had a coach. I never had an uncle. I never had a, a, a partner in a business that helped me. So, so I want everyone to understand that I know despair like anybody would know despair. And it wasn't just once. I've been through it three times in our cycle of business. 1995, when I started, it was very tough. In 0102 was a terrible time. We basically went broke, but we kept the doors open. And oh, yeah. 08 and 09, we were bankrupt on paper, but we kept the doors open and we survived. So, so I, I'm not a novice to, to what despair, financial despair looks like. So I just wanted to say that everyone has the ability to do it. I have absolutely no higher education. I went to a cooking school. That was my college. Um, you know, I started from the bottom and I worked my way up following a path. And the path is core values, getting our head right picking the right platform, which is so important. So many people have these wonderful aspirations and dreams, but they're in a platform, a business, a career path, a foundation that is never going to work. If you make sandwiches at at the Subway sandwich shop and you dream of a Lambo, it just doesn't work. You're in the wrong platform. Now you want to buy 40 Subway sandwich shops? Go for it. I love that ambition. But if you're just making sandwiches and you think you're dreaming of a Lambo, the two don't match. It's, it's two plus two equaling three, not four. And so people have to figure out, are they in the right platform? How do we know if we're in the right platform? We have to have someone in the organization who's living the lifestyle by design that we want. That's how you know you're in the right platform. And it doesn't have to be money, right? I want to help children. Great. Then I need to be in the organization that is helping the most children and getting the best ROI, the the best results for helping those children. That's how we know whether we're in the right spot. I think a couple of things in what you just went through, uh, they're really, they're really uh, interesting. The first thing is, yeah, it's the, it's, it's measurement, right? Measurement, measurement is just the, you know, the, the, you know, uh, objective way of, uh, of, looking at what you've done, right? But it doesn't mean that's who you are uh, and that's where you're going to be in the future, right? And uh, so I look at, you know, just a simple understanding of a, you know, of a financial, of a financial statement, which most people don't, don't have, but, you know, in essence, it reflects their value to, to, to the world from a professional standpoint, but it also, I think is an indicator of the fact that they can, you know, actually be more valuable and, and have a higher uh, measurement in that, uh, in that respect. Uh, but the second thing I, I found was interesting is, you know, the response you got from the listeners of, of MarketWatch, right? Because you would, you would assume that, you know, MarketWatch people are those that are, you know, aspiring to, 
you know, to, to, you know, make money, invest and, and do more and achieve more, <laughs> you know, and it's one of those, like, because it doesn't fit their narrative, right. They, they somehow dis- discount it. But I think that goes into, you know, a lot of the financial rhetoric that's, that's prevalent in, uh, in our, in our society. Uh, but then, you know, the last thing, last thing you said is also, you know, there's so many, like, you know, how I look at it and I try to, to realize that my filter of the world is, 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 is different than, than most. But I look at this, the examples that are everywhere, right, uh, of people that have done just awesome things. And, and, and people don't tend to celebrate that. They, celeb- they, don't, they, they attack it more than they celebrate it. But also, I think it's, it's interesting to, to see that the lack of, of faith that people have in themselves and what they could do and what they can accomplish. Because, you know, I, what I try to teach my, you know, my team and my, even my, my kids is that whatever they want to do, whatever they want to be, it's, it, they, can, they can do it. Human beings have done, you know, amazing things, but to inspire that, you know, in, in someone is, uh, it's, it's a, lot, a lot harder, than, a lot harder than, uh, than, it, uh, than it sounds. So maybe you talk us through that, like in, in the book, what are some of the, the success stories, the feedback you've gotten from the book uh, that have, you know, shown that people have taken what you've talked about uh, and actually improve improve things, whether it's being more valuable, changing careers, finding meaning in what they're doing. Can you walk us through a couple of those examples? Yeah, I mean, there's really there's really countless of them, um, and I'm fortunate in the type of business that I'm in where I I'm able to see that. I mean, we are a ragtag uh, team here. We don't come from any pedigree of any kind whatsoever. We do have a guy who was captain of his football team at Rice, and he's sort of like our, <laughs> you know, our highest pedigree guy in the office. But the rest of us are ragtags, man. We're 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 underdogs, and um, and I, I've seen countless examples in in our uh, office of people who just trusted and believed in me that I was not in it for the money, that I was in it to help them get their piece of the American pie and they followed it. Again, it goes back to the platform. Is there someone in the organization that's leading a life that you would like to aspire to? And, and it's so sad how many people, I saw it with my brother-in-law too, every new job was going to be the new home run. Every new job was the job that was going to fix all the old crappy jobs that he bought into from that crappy manager who lied to him just to get him in there, right? And so this element of transparency, all that sort of stuff is vital. But, um, you know, I have an exa- a perfect example of, of someone in my office. Um, she started as a receptionist, and I would find her uh, looking at her Facebook on her phone when I would walk up front. And I, I rem- she's a single mom, and I remember one day I said, hey, listen, I'd like to talk to you for a little bit. And I said, um, you need more money, right? And she said, of course, I need more money. I said, just let me help you with a couple things to get you there. I said, the first thing I'd like you to do is when you're here, don't be distracted with the other things that you were allowed to get away with at your previous job. So if your old employer allowed you to look at your Facebook page or watch some YouTube videos or talk incessantly with your family on the phone, don't allow yourself to do that here. Just make that commitment to me. And she said, I will. A week goes by. I didn't see her when I'd walk by looking at her Facebook. She was doing her best to work. I called her back in. I said, I'd like to take you to the next step. She said, sure, what is it? I said, I need you to skill up. I need you to go around this office and just listen to some of the other conversations from people who are beginning to do well and make more money than you. Find out what are they doing? She did it. I watched her. A week later, I called her and I said, now here's what I want you to do. 
I want you to go up to those same people and I want you to say, is there anything that I can help you with? I need you to bring value to those people. And she did. And then one, we lost one of the people in our operations department and she said, I'd like to apply for that job. I said, you don't have to apply. You got that job. Boom, pay raise. Long story short, she's now my operations manager. And she came in here um, oh, about a month or two ago and said, I'd like to ask you for a raise. And I said, great. And she said, I'd like a 15% raise. And I said, that's great. How do you justify it? And she said, well, I've been here a long time. I've done everything you asked me for. And I said, I need you to do something else now. I need you to go back and by tomorrow, I need you to present an annual report to me. I need you to prove out to me that you brought value to this organization, that you helped our sales guys close more deals, that you did a cost-cutting measure in our operations department. Prove your value to the organization. She came back with the most beautiful color display. It literally looked like an annual report of a publicly traded company. And I said, I'm not going to give you a 15% raise. I'm going to give you a 30% raise. And so in four years, she went from our receptionist goofing off watching Facebook, wondering how she's going to pay her bills, to now being in charge of my department and having tremendous prosperity for she and her kid. That's the magic of business. And it's also the magic of people learning from people who are capable of teaching and then executing on the process. So in four years, she's probably making more today than she ever thought possible when she was goofing off as my receptionist. That's powerful stuff, man. It is. And it, you know, and that is, it's one of those, it's one of those things where the potential, the potential of someone is never seen on the surface. Right. And, you know, and just a slight, a slight change can make a, a monumental difference. It's the whole, you know, cliche of the compound effect by, you know, Darren Hardy. It's just as one changes that compound and they keep compounding. And if she connected the dots, I mean, yeah. Here's the deal though. What, if that doesn't exist, Patrick, in someone's environment, right? If they don't have a boss who wants to care about them like that, yep. that still doesn't get in the way and allow that person to not find the ambition to move up the food chain. And that's kind of the messaging that I tried to get through in my book. I tried to walk the person through. If you don't have it in your world, it's still not good enough to be okay with that. You've got to search it out. Mm-hmm. If it's nothing more than buying my book, great. But that process that changed her life and the life of her kid in four years is available to anyone if they just search a little bit for it. So what direction do you get? So let's say it's the receptionist at a, at a place that, that doesn't have uh, a leader such as your, yourself, uh, them hearing the message, wanting to do more. What's, what's, uh, what's the direction if those examples don't exist in the environment that they're in? They exist everywhere, though, man. I mean, it's this thing called YouTube. You know, we're both familiar with it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we can plug in anything in the search bar and find anything we want. We can learn languages. We can learn how to play instruments. We can learn how to get an MBA degree for free. Anything exists. The key is, do we have a little bit of ambition? Yep. Because I think, I think, I think one of your one of your questions. I like to come back to it is. Why is it that some people achieve and some don't, right? And, and those who don't seem to be growing. I do think it comes down to this piece of ambition that we are so afraid to be ambitious because our circle of friends are going to tamp that down. They're going to put that fire out. They're going to tell us that we're being braggadocious about predicting our futures, right? Mm-hmm. 
And my answer is, man, you got to get away from those people. And, and one of the things that happens, as I know you know, is once you start to move up into some different circles, not better, just different, different. they run at a different frequency, man. Mm-hmm. Like I, I know a billionaire who uh, a few years ago, um, I saw him at one of our kids' events, and he asked me how business was. And I went, eh, so-so. And he just drove off. He literally didn't even answer me. And I learned that day that the, the really wealthy, the ones who have really done well, dude, they don't want to hear your problems. <laughs> they want to hear the good news from you, man. They, they already got enough problems. They, they've moved past that mindset and they're operating in a frequency of which they're running with people who are looking, they, they require positivity and success because we all know there's enough negativity out there. And that was a very eye-opening day for me, man. I, I, when someone asks me how things are, I always say they're good. I never say they're bad. Tom Hopkins used to say, when someone says, how's business, you're supposed to say, unbelievable. unbelievable. Remember? <laughs> unbelievably good or unbelievably bad. He doesn't know, but he just says unbelievable, right? No, and that is what I was thinking about just, just now. Because, uh, yeah, I love, I love Tom, Tom Hopkins. Uh, it's the it's the definition of what a problem or a challenge is. Right. And I think that definition is different uh, as you look at the different environments. Right. Cause I think problems and challenges are just as much opportunities as they are, uh, you know, difficulties. Right. But I would say the, the, the reframing or the environment, the, the way in which you're viewing things is what you're, is what you're alluding to. And, and I think that mindset is, is vital because that's where it all, that all, where it all initiates. Maybe go back to the, the idea of ambition and where that's, how did, how, what do you talk about in the book as far as d- discovering that? Because I would say that's, that's, the, that's the fuel because change is different, you know, letting go of social circles, right? To pursue, I mean, that's hard and that's a big step and it's a big leap of faith. What is, you know, how, what is that discovery process of figuring out, you know, what is something they're passionate or, or driven by? so much that they will actually, you know, push, push through some adversity to get it. I think tragedy uh, triggers it uh, in a lot of people's worlds, whether it's a health tragedy or a financial tragedy. I think that begins to create a wake up call. Um, But it does come back down. The fueling of ambition does come down to your surroundings. But, but I believe that surroundings are all muddled now, right? I remember, you remember when that show Beverly Hills 90210 came out? Yeah. And I remember watching that show and saying, wait a minute, man, I, I, all these mansions and these BMWs and stuff for the movie Wall Street, right? Mm-hmm. And I just, there was just something that clicked in me that said, well, maybe I could get my hands on some of that. I mean, I don't know how, but maybe I could get my hands on, on some of that. And so I don't think ambition is something that necessarily comes from the outside. It's fueled by the outside. But there is an element of ambition that that needs to be refueled in all of us. It's lost so early by most of us. How old are your children, Patrick? Uh, Four, 12, and 13. Okay, so mine are 16, 14, and 12. Mm -hmm. You know, right around that eight to 10, 11 years old, school and children begin to tamp down ambition. Yep. And it's whether you dream about, you know, being the MLL lacrosse player and the kid says, you suck. You, you can't even throw and catch on the field now. Well, there goes the dream. It goes like that. Dagger. You know, it's a dagger. It, it crushes it. Yep. And so 
how do we how do we get our ambition back man it starts with the visualization you just got to dream that you're capable of more than you have and my whole life has been about that it's it's also a blessing and a curse right i mean i'm not overly happy with with achievements either i always think that i can do more but um it's better than not having them at all that's the it's the it's the pursuit idea i mean the people think there's this end to certain things. There's no end. It's like, it's just this ongoing, you know, it's this ongoing thing that we're all, nobody's perfect. We're all, we're all human. We're infallible, but we're capable and we're capable of some of the most, you know, horrific things, but also the most amazing things. And it's just a realization that, you know, just because someone says this or that, you know, even though you take that, you take that to heart and it kind of scars you or wounds you, but yet, you know, the scar tissue and what's built on top of that is stronger. Uh, if right, you have that internal belief in yourself and, you know, I, and it's, uh, and it's hard cause you know, human, human beings have very similar characteristics. Uh, but I do, but it's that, you know, understanding that you have value and you have worth, uh, that I think people are always trying to verify, right. Or validate. And, uh, but in the end, it, you know, right now, I think we're in a very interesting time where there is this perception of perfection out there, this perception of what life should be like and look like uh, that, uh, that often isn't necessarily uh, realistic. So do you address any of those issues in your, in your book? Yeah, I, I refer to that as false positive. I call it hashtag false positive in the book. It's where you actually begin, <laughs> believe that you're doing better than you really are. When the bills yeah. don't come okay. on pink slips anymore and you can go to Disney and you can buy a $2,000 purse and take your spouse out to a fancy steak dinner, right? But that has no connection to moving the needle of net worth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I actually talk about that a lot in different ways to fix that in the book by moving from what I call false positive to what I call accumulation mode. Um, you know, accumulation mode is a key component. At some point we have to move out of broke and into accumulation mode before we can ever get to rich or even the next phase of wealth, which I call wealthy, right? Which wealthy to me is Carnegie money. It's Gates money. It's, Mm -hmm. it's indestructible wealth, regardless of what happens economically, that money will always churn and spit out tokens. But that's not the goal of my book. The goal of my book is to get people from broke through accumulation and into rich, rich defined, not financially rich is defined as I've lived this lifestyle that was by my design. And so, um, you know, I, I believe that we are initially chasing numbers that will never get us financially secure. I'll give you just a specific example on a million dollars, right? Which everyone thinks a million dollars is this big number. Two things. Number one, a million dollars if put in very conservative, let's just call it tax-free municipal bonds, and let's just say those tax-free munis pay 3%. That's 30 grand a year on your million. The average Social Security benefit in America is $1,366. So so on a million dollars, your tax-free muni money and your Social Security is generating $3,868 a month, right? That is not Tuscany. That is not the big RV driving across country and doing that in retirement. It's basically staying at home watching your P's and Q's on a million bucks. Now, for those who think that a million is unattainable, here's the formula on how you get to a million dollars. It's just a math problem. If you save $2,000 a year, or $2,000 a month for 21 years, and you pull a 6% annual return, which you could probably get that in an index fund, in 21 years, your $2,000 per month will be worth $1 million. Well, now how do I get my hands on two grand? Well, heck, I just told you how. Go deliver more value in the organization that you're working for and go get yourself a job and get yourself a $24,000 raise and there's your 2,000 bucks. What if you do a little side hustle? What if you love to bake cakes? 
What if you're an amazing cabinet maker? What if you love to play music and so you do a couple gigs on the weekends and you pick up $2,000 a month, you put it away for 21 years, you have a million dollars. So these dreams are all very possible. Mm -hmm. Whether we determine or argue on whether a million is a lot or a little, the idea that it is unachievable is not true. Well, there's something that I, you know, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm younger. I've, I've dealt with, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of different individual situations, but the thing I've always come back to in, you know, reading and just, you know, observing uh, society is that the, the notion, the notion of, you know, a, a retirement, I would say, number one, I don't think it's possible for most, uh, but then also, you know, it's, it's not, it's not healthy uh, because I think people, you know, really, you get a, a drive off of being more valuable. Maybe your second, maybe your receptionist is a good, was a good example, right? When you're, when you, when you receive more money and you know, you've created value, there's something that happens that, you know, I don't know if it's, if it's a boost of self-esteem or confidence or a realization that you are valuable and it could be, you know, subconscious, but that, that notion, you know, that's a, that's a drive and an energy that you don't want to lose because that's what, you know, being, making a difference in other people's lives, you know, at whatever level, even if it's in, at the employment level, you're making a difference. You're using who you are and you're being more valuable to people. And when a person takes 30 years of experience, 40 years of experience and stops, I mean, how is anything good supposed to come from that? It's also the way the person who, um, maybe got downsized in their 50s and they're still a little bit short for their retirement goals or their money. It's also how they leverage their value and their worth to go back into the marketplace, whether it's getting another job or being a consultant or being an expert in some specific space. That's how you continue to get paid to make up the shortfall that maybe your work career did for you, right? I know a lot of people who made X number of dollars working for someone, they get downsized and then they take that skill set and be a consultant and make four times what they made working for the company where they were expected to do that job. And the catalyst is that, you know, they had to get laid off, right? They were, yeah, they were let go. Right. It's like, what are those pain? You have to be punched in the face before you're like, oh yeah, I'm probably valuable and I can go make more money here. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting how we all, how we all work. Yeah. Uh, I can't wait to, you know, I haven't, I haven't read the, read the book yet, but it's on the list now because this is a, it's a message that, you know, the, the, the world needs, right? The world needs to realize that, you know, it's, it's changed and it, there's so much opportunity now. That's, what's amazing is the opportunity, you know, you said in the beginning, you know, you, you started your business with a phone, right? Now you have so many different tools and resources, whether it's the internet or social media or, uh, I mean, it's, it's, un, it's, un, it's incredible, you know, what is available to us to actually take uh, and use to be more valuable and, uh, and be more productive and, and, and yeah. do better. Patrick, there's one thing that's also changed, which is so different than 20 years ago or 30 years or 50 years ago, is that access to the people who have maybe what you might want has never been easier as well. I mean, you know, why, why would a T. Boone Pickens or a Mark Cuban, for example, do, why would Mark Cuban do Dancing of the Stars and Shark Tank and all that sort of stuff, right? Because he wants to help. You can get your hands on people who are highly successful easier today than you ever could have in the past. Most have some presence, whether it's Google, it's videos, it's social media. You have access to people today that, 
when I was coming up, you didn't. There was that glass ceiling. There was the gatekeeper. There was had to know someone must be connected through school or Silver Spoon. It doesn't exist anymore. The barriers of of connectability are breaking down. No, hundred percent. And that, and I, and I, I don't know. I, I do see a lot more evidence uh, of just you know people taking these messages and actually realizing that there is other oppor- other opportunities. Uh, but nonetheless, you still have you know, the, the majority of, of where our middle class is, that is just, you know, hell bent on these certain, you know, check, you know, boxes that need to be checked over the next like 20 years. And I, I don't know, it's, I think people are starting to realize and, and have that awakening that it's not, you know, those check boxes are, are gone. Those boxes are gone. They They're too low. Those check boxes are not meaningful anymore. Those check boxes are too small. We need bigger check boxes. We need bigger hill to climb. Here's what I'd like to leave you with too, and I know you know this, but most people do want to achieve. They really do. They want to do better. I believe that. The problem is when they set the expectations or this hill that they're going to climb, the hills are just too doggone small. And they end up climbing these hills, whether it's over a lifetime or a decade or maybe even a year, whatever. And they get to the top and they're like, man, I should have, I should have climbed higher. Right? So set them big, man, set them huge from the beginning because most people will climb the hill. They won't quit. They will, but the hill is too soft and easy and not difficult enough. So I'm going to ask you this one last question and we can, then we can, uh, we can sign off. So who, who right now is some of those of, of that influence for you? Like who are the people that you are, are looking to that inspire you, that motivate you, uh, that are at a different level, uh, but are compelling you to take it to the next level? Yeah, I have a very um, diverse group uh, of that. Uh, I've never had a business partner in, until uh, a couple months ago where I, I bought into this business called Business Finishing School, which will end up being my. Oh, I'm, I'm actually doing their first module. This for my anyway. Yeah, interesting. Are you really? Yeah. Is that how we? Is that how we got introduced to BFS? I don't think, I don't think so. So I bought into Business Finishing School. Are you coming to our September boot camp here in yeah. Dallas? No, I just started taking the online kind of the online module. I've just I've just barely started. How did you even find out about it? How I can't you- remember. <laughs> Somebody so, told me about it. What an incredible question you, you ask and what a small world st- story. So on one hand, I have my friend and now partner, Rick Sapio, who literally manages his life off a flip phone. Yeah. Right? He's the guy, he's, he's in the, he's in the business finishing school uh, videos, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He and Patrick uh, Gentempo, but, yep. but uh, Rick and I are now partners in business finishing school. Oh, cool. That's awesome. And so I have Rick's simplicity and probability and leverage really sort of you know, the chaos is not required mindset. And then just yesterday, I was in Miami with my friend Grant Cardone, who is, you know, take over the world and, and, you know, win at all costs. So I have this incredible network of people that I pull from these days, a Sapio who keeps me so grounded, and a Cardone who keeps me so ambitious. And all of that occurred because of my desire to be ambitious and to get to the next level and to tap my potential, right? Those relationships were never there for me. And Mm -hmm. until I made the choice to go get them, 
And so I challenge everybody, man, never tamp down your ambition or that of someone else's. Be that per even the unmotivated want motivation, be the person that gives it to them. Well said, Matt. It was awesome to have you on. What are, what's the uh, best way for people to uh, to follow you? And we'll yeah. we'll get that obviously posted on our, our show notes and on, on social media. The, the book is called You Need More Money. It's available Barnes & Noble across the country on Amazon, anywhere books are sold. Um, and then it's Matt Monero on all social media platforms or Google. Uh, they can just Google my name and, uh, and find whatever they want. Um, and I'm grateful to be on the show, Patrick. Thank you. It was awesome having you. Great, great conversation. Best of luck with you. Thanks. Back at you. Thank you for joining us as the Wealth Standard Podcast spends all of 2018 celebrating life, liberty, and property. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes, and we'll see you on the next one.